as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We're uh, almost two weeks out from the expiration of Title 42, and we need a report from the ground. And we have our eyes on that and the current situation as the mighty uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott had mentioned that Brownsville is ground zero for illegal border crossings. Joining us on 710KURV, spokesman for the National Border Patrol Council is Chris Cabrera, one of our local men in green down here. And uh, so what's the story from Brownsville right now? You know, Brownsville is still getting some traffic. It's not as busy as it was. Um, the first part of the, the month was, was terrible. It's, it's kind of dried up a little bit. But we're still getting, we're still seeing decent numbers nationwide. What is the, the reason behind that, the drop? I heard that there was like a, like a terminology exchange or, or something like that they stopped calling it one thing they started calling it another and that that was one of the reasons but uh, what, what's what's going on behind the scenes there you know i think the the biggest thing in play right now is is nobody on the on the mexican side uh as far as the different nationalities are there really knows what's going to happen if they get caught crossing um you know are they going to be released are they going to be sent home i mean we are seeing a few get sent home we are seeing a, a good number of them being released um, but once they figure out the system, you know, all those people, the thousands upon thousands that are either south of us or Brownsville or El Paso, you know, they didn't walk all the way up here from wherever they came from just to turn around empty handed. So uh, I think they're going to come at some point. We just we're just kind of waiting on pins and needles to try and figure out when and where. Chris Cabrera is a spokesman for the National Border Patrol Council, our guest on your 956 drive home. Any any word of uh, caravans headed this way? You know, honestly, we stopped paying attention to caravans years ago just for the simple fact that if there's a caravan of 3,000, sometimes we'll see 3,000 in one day. So uh, caravans are just kind of uh, the norm now. So we don't know if there's big caravans coming. I know uh, the president of Guatemala had said that there was a huge group of of Central and South Americans headed this way, but we don't really know where they're going or or where they're going to end up. That's fascinating. We've become so desensitized to large groups like that. And what are the, the preparations for when we get groups that come in that are that big? Well, you know, right now we're, we're looking at, um, we have the, the 10 cities up in place. Uh, that's one of them, which I don't know how well that's going to play out being hurricane season. Uh, the other part is uh, different facilities uh, a little further in. Every, every sector is handling their own. Um, El Paso has a, a few in place. So does Del Rio. And I think that the common thing is is it's more of like a, a mutual assistance type deal where if, if we get hit hard, Laredo, Del Rio, and El Paso will, will lend a hand and, and vice versa. We're joined by Chris Cabrera, the spokesman for the National Border Patrol Council, our guest on your 956 Drive Home. He's one of our local men down here in Green. And as far as uh, 
the largest concentration of people crossing right now, what region has the most out in the state of Texas? You know, from my understanding, it's right here in the Rio Grande Valley. I could be wrong on that, but last I heard, I think we had taken over the top spot. So I don't know if this is something that we're proud to be number one in, but unfortunately we are. Is that a geographical thing that we're the, the closest to uh, the closest access to Mexico? Yeah, if, if you look at it, I mean, we're, we're the closest access uh, between uh, Central America and, um, you know, from between us and Central America, the, the straight shot would be the, the McAllen-Reynosa area. Um, if you go, obviously, you can go a little farther east and hit Matamoros, but if you start angling west, you, you have a lot longer of a, of a trip. But if you go just straight south from us, you'll, you'll actually run into Central America. How has the military presence been affecting things? You know, it's good to have them down here. You know, we, we appreciate their help, whether they're um, Texas National Guard or National Guard from all over the uh, the, uh, the states. Um, they help out a lot, whether it's uh, in an active role, which Texas National Guard uh, does, or some of the uh, more passive roles where, you know, they're, they're eyes and ears for us. They're working camera trucks and scope trucks and, and doing some of the things so that we can get out there and, and get our hands dirty so they can uh, help out. But they are a big, big help to us down here. Have you heard of any stories or uh, any reports out of the Brownsville downtown area about uh, migrants wandering around or moving away from the facilities that are there? Yeah, you know, I actually, I, I've seen it myself. Um, I went down there uh, last week and you would have people obviously all hanging out, you know, around either at the bus station or close by within a block or two. But you get a little farther out, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, two or three miles away, four miles away, and you see those same folks, and, and they're easily spotted. They have the little blue bag that uh, ICRO gave them, so they have their nice little all-matching little um, shopping bag with them with all their free goodies that, that we gave them. So they're, they're pretty easy to spot, but, yeah, you do see them uh, in places other than the bus station or the airport. They're, they're you know, moving about town. Chris Cabrera is the spokesman for the National Border Patrol Council, our guest on your 956 drive home. Uh, tell us more about the, the facilities that are there, everything that's set up in the Brownsville area, since uh, Greg Abbott had been calling it, air quotes, ground zero. Um, wh what are the resources that are available in Brownsville right now? You know, it's very similar to what we have here in the McAllen area with uh, the tops where it's, it's a, um, theirs is more of a brick and mortar. They repurpose some old buildings, so they have a, actual brick and mortar buildings where we had more of a tent and shipping container system going on. Um, but it, it's much the same. There's food available, um, whether it's snacks or hot food coming in, there's showers available, medicals available. Um, everything that, that you could possibly get on short notice is actually available to these folks. So, um, you know, that, that's an important job too, because there's a lot of heat injuries this time of the year, plus all that razor wire we're seeing a lot of people trying to, you know, Superman over it and getting pretty scratched up and not to mention, um, you know, the, the amount of pregnant females we have coming across right now. So it, it is a good thing that they have it set up the way they do. I, I think in McAllen, uh, a couple patrol agents in charge ago uh, set up a really good system down here and it, it's worked for us ever since. Another report that I kind of wanted to follow up on were the People on the terror watch list that have been getting caught and uh, people that were OTM, what, who, who are we seeing coming across the border right now? 
You know, I think the um, the easier list would be who aren't we seeing coming across this border. I mean, where I, I from my understanding, it's you know well into the hundreds as far as the different countries that that are uh, repre- representation down here uh, or across the southern border. I know Yuma a couple weeks ago had groups with uh, a lot of folks from uh, East and West Africa. Um, there was a lot of uh, uh, special interest countries that that are known to harbor terrorism. So I think that the scary part is is the ones we aren't catching because obviously the gotaways are, are just going crazy. And if you know you're on some type of watch list, you're going to try extra hard to get away. So I think that's what we need to be concerned with is obviously whoever we got, that's important, but we need to concentrate on who we're not getting because, you know, if they've gotten through, it, it could, it could spell disaster for us. One month out and three months out. Uh, what do you think the, the numbers are going to look like now that title 42 has expired? You know, it would it would purely be speculation on my part, but I would say within a month, uh, I would think we're going to be back in full swing again with with the huge numbers. I, I think it's it's not going to take long for people to either figure out that they can get across and get away if that's what's happening, or if uh, they're just going to rush it and say, you know what, we waited long enough, we're coming. You had mentioned hurricane season earlier, and I was I I am wondering, are you? Are there plans for hurricane season in the event of an emergency with all those temporary shelters that are out there? You know, I I sure hope so. <laughs> I don't know for certain, but but I surely do hope they have a plan because uh, that's going to get ugly. If we have a hurricane hit down here, um, we're going to be in, in some serious trouble. Yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah, and I, I apologize for the question, but yeah, it is it, it does it is a noggin scratcher. Uh, how we're gonna, how we would move that many people in case of an emergency. Thanks a lot, Chris. As usual, we appreciate it. Not a problem. Spokesman, spokesman for the National Board Patrol Council and one of our local boys in green here. You're listening to News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. A check of all things Texas Ledge, live from Austin, from the Quorum Report and fellow Astros fan Scott Braddock joins us. And for... The, hey, we have the the ledge about to end in a few days. It's about a mm-hmm. week. Uh, what are the big things that are happening right now that we've got our eye on? You were mentioning the uh, off the air about the grid. <laughs> That's becoming a thing. Absolutely, it's been a fight, really, because kind of simmering throughout the entire session. Because you have the governor who wants one thing on the grid, the lieutenant governor wants something else, and in this case, uh, Davis and Zach, I think that the House is acting as sort of the referee between the governor and the lieutenant governor, basically. And this is, and here's the thing: I have a a good friend who's been a lobbyist for electricity companies over the years for decades, who says this, you know, politically about electricity, no one cares about it unless they just don't. He he says they his his version is. 
more colorful than this, but he says people don't give a damn about electricity unless it doesn't work or <laughs> it's too expensive. Right. And in Texas now, following Winter Storm Uri, we have a situation where you can have both of those things, right? <laughs> and so the big fight now has to do with some of the richest people in Texas versus some of the even richer people in Texas. Big business versus even bigger business. You've got the oil and gas guys and manufacturers and folks like that who are against the electricity generators. And you have uh, the house sort of more in line with the oil and gas guys. And I'll just use that for shorthand. And the Texas Senate under Lieutenant Governor Patrick has been more in line with the electricity generators who want to build more natural gas plants uh, all around the state. That's the main way they want to deliver this. Uh, and so earlier this year, the Public Utility Commission came out with, and you probably read about this, saw this, the Utility Commission, all those folks were appointed by Governor Abbott, of course, on that commission. Um, and they came out with recommendations for something that will make electricity in Texas more expensive for consumers but is supposed to make it more reliable. I mean, if you think about it this way, uh, before the storm uh, two years ago, uh, the electricity grid in Texas, which of course, as y'all know, we're the only state that has our own electricity grid. Uh, the rest Yay. of the United States has the, you know, the Western grid and the Eastern grid. But in Texas, we have our grid. A lot of people would say yay before two years ago, Davis. And then, of course, we had our big problem here. <laughs> There's uh, nothing you know, wrong the, with the idea. It's yeah. the execution of it by those knuckleheads. That's exactly right. You know, uh, many years ago, it was deregulated and you had uh, an expansive growth, a quick growth uh, in the renewable sector. And, you know, there are those who blame renewables for where we are now, although you can, you know, argue that square, you know, you can argue it square around because there are many times that renewables are, you know, basically uh, saving the day around here. And a couple of weeks ago, the Public Utility Commission chairman, Peter Lake, he said, hey, you know what, sometimes during the summer this year, we will probably be overly reliant on renewables, including solar and wind, uh, at times when you have you know record-breaking temperatures, which we're on track to have. Uh, but think about the electricity grid this way. In Texas, up until two years ago, it was basically set up to give you cheap electricity, but that doesn't mean it's reliable. In fact, it's pretty unreliable. And that's just like anything else that you buy, right? The cheaper the thing is, you know, the more unreliable it is. Like you buy an old cheap car, it's probably going to break down now and then. Kind of the same way. So what Governor Abbott and his folks want to do is make it more expensive, but their argument is that will make it more reliable. And that's the argument that the big electricity generators want to hear because they want to make the money as a result of the grid being more expensive. Does that make sense? So, but, but then you have oil and gas guys and manufacturers who are just like you and me are big con you know, consumers of electricity. Of course, those folks consume a lot more of it. They would like to keep those costs down. So what happened this afternoon is the Texas House has now passed a version of what the Public Utility Commission recommended, except that they put a cap on the overall cost of all this at a billion dollars, when if there was not a cap on it, that's a billion dollars per year, uh, an additional cost that we'll all incur paying for our electricity bills. Um, but the Texas Senate and Governor Abbott don't want any cap at all. Experts have said that if there's no cap on it, it could cost as much as $9 billion to $15 billion per, dollars per year. Which means, let me let me put it this way for folks who are just trying to think about how their electricity bill is going to look. The fight they're having is over whether your bill is going to go up 3% or 75%, right? And so now it looks like they will probably have to work out a deal between the Texas House and the Texas Senate. And we'll see if this means that your bill is going to go up more like 25% or 40%. It's probably going to go up no matter what. But Davis, this is something I heard uh, late last week is that the governor has now basically said, hey, Whatever the House and Senate can work out between them, I'll just take it. 
I'll just sign it. Earlier in the session, he had been pretty dug in about his position, which was the much more expensive version of all this. Uh, but I was told basically, for, you know, it's one of the reasons that we now believe that there won't be an immediate special session of the legislature because the governor wants to get this electricity deal out of the way and go on down the road. Here's here's my complaint about that is because we're just talking about power generation. This is the only thing we're talking about. When we had that storm hit us on April 28th that knocked out power to like, what was it, 150,000 people or something like that? There was all these people that that got uh, that had no electricity. And it was a lot of it was because the power poles were, were, were knocked over. That has nothing to do with power generation. You know what I mean? So we're, we're spending right. all this money for this infrastructure for power generation, but a natural disaster happens and one that includes wind, right? Mm-hmm we're going to be in the same boat regardless even though we're paying more money for this right and, th- and this is the thing you know whenever the whenever the governor would talk about uh the kind of storm you're talking about and he would say look it's because power poles went down or trees fell into pole you know power lines or whatever it is he would say that has nothing to do with the electricity grid but we do have fundamental underlying problems with this grid no no question i mean if you think about the fact that what's going to happen this summer uh, is that we're going to see you know potentially record temperatures and brownouts or blackouts uh, as a result of problems with the grid and not with the kind of problem that you're talking about, Zach, which is it's a related problem, right? Some people try to act like they're separate problems, but they're related problems. Um, I think that the number to keep in mind, and this speaks to the lack of planning at the state level by our current leadership and some of our former leadership as well, going back to Governor Perry, um, the kinds of things that are be, aren't being argued about now today at the Texas Capitol won't do anything to fix blackouts and brownouts this summer. Yeah. Right? They can't bring those new generation plants online that fast. Um, when the Public Utility Commission chairman laid out his case for why we might have blackouts this summer, what one number that stuck with me was that over the course of about a decade, we have seen what we call dispatchable electricity grow by about 1% to 2%. When we say dispatchable energy, that just means that if you have a machine, you turn it on or the electricity comes out of it, not, it's auto, you know it's 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 on demand electricity that would be coal fired plants or natural gas fired plants in, in general unless they're frozen like they were during winter storm Uri. Uh, that would not include wind and solar which are dependent on whether there's wind and sunlight right um, but but here's the thing one to two percent growth over about a decade in on demand energy at the same time population growth in Texas over the same period was twenty four percent of an increase. Right. And so, and so, our our investment in electricity in this state has not kept up in any way, shape, or form with our population growth. And you think about, you know, when people are moving here, this is the way one of my friends says it all the time: thousand people moving to Texas every day. They don't bring electricity with them. They don't bring schools with them. They don't bring water with them or oh, roads Lord. with them. So we have to plan for that if we're going to continue to see this kind of growth. Davey, I, I got to stop your question uh, for Scott Bragg of the Quorum Report joining us on seven ten KURV real quick because we're we're pressed up against the clock here. Uh, the special session for school vouchers, what, what, what's the status on that? I'm still hearing that if it happens, it'll be later this year, maybe uh, after uh, school starts again, uh, you know, maybe uh, in September. That doesn't mean that the governor won't call it, uh, you know, before that. But I think he would be wise to wait because the Texas House is really not in the mood to <clears throat> negotiate on a, on a school voucher bill. There's a, there's a last minute play now by the Texas Senate. Uh, that was uh, we reported it last night uh, that uh, the Senate now wants to tie a school voucher program to increases in teacher pay. I think based on the attitude of the Texas House so far that that's going to be uh, hitting a brick wall with the House later this week. We'll see. Uh, I could predict that's not going to fly. This just I couldn't tell you why. It just doesn't strike me as reasonable. 
Now they've had to they've had to try to tie it to everything else in the world to try to pass this thing. Remember earlier, a proposal was to uh, get rid of star tests, and then yes. also pass a school voucher plan at the same time. Is it anything else that they can you know cr- you know call it a sweetener to try to pass that thing? They have tried, and so far it's not working. All right. Well, we'll see if there's a special session or not coming our way. We'll talk. We'll have another update about this in the coming days as we move closer to the deadline on Monday. Thanks a lot, Scott Braddock from the Farm Report, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. This is your 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking break in. news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an active shooter, multiple gunshot In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Yesterday we were talking with Scott Bragg of the Quorum Report, and you know what? I'll let Davey set this one up. Because oh, he's got the headline and I don't. And he never sent it to me. But uh, because it's because I'm having paywall, trouble with my email. Because it's behind a paywall and I refuse to pay for it. But there's some talks at the Texas Ledge about fixing up the grid. That's in the news again. Tim Snyder from Matador Economics Tim. joins us. And do you want to say the name of he who shall not be named to uh, Tim? Well, this is not where I got it, but it's where I found it. <laughs> uh, Chris Tomlinson, who is a, a columnist for the. Hearst Newspapers, which own the Houston Chronicle and San Antonio Express News, he he's I don't think he's down for down for oil and gas. You familiar with him? Oh yeah, and and actually I found the article that you guys are talking about okay. a, a similar article Good. in Mother Jones, which is uh, an wow. environmental magazine. So yeah, right. I, I I might have trumped you on on how far we how far left we could go <laughs> well the, what we were told by scott uh braddock of the quorum report yesterday and i'd seen this before but i could i could not find the article which is the uh the solutions to the the methods of guaranteeing we have power this summer go from not right. costing us very much to costing us a whole lot of money and uh it's it's we haven't studied it uh i, I don't understand this i i thought this was texas and uh I, i'm 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 a capitalist i'm a big capitalist uh but i'm also i don't want them taking that much money away anyway tim i'll quit spluttering so what's the story here how come the, why is this so hard to fix sorry it, it, you know it's funny this is about risk okay and how do we offset risk? The bill they're talking about, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is Senate Bill 6. Uh, that's basically, sorry, Senate Bill 7. I was one off. Um, what we're looking at is the cost to create enough energy during a crisis is monumental. Um, to offset the risk and make sure we have the resources to be able to manage through a crisis like we had in February of, of what's it, 2021, 
um, is is monumental as well. But there are ways to do some risk management in this and create the ability that 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 Texas needs to make sure that we ensure that we have that power. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important portion of what we're doing here. Um, you know, if you if you sit back and and look at um, what we need, we have to have a ready and reliable source. Um, you know, we did have good. We had had plenty of warning in uh, February of 2021. Yeah. The problem was, if you look back at where we stand, um, we weren't able to get that delivered because we had a system that is basically was not built for this kind of power this kind of power load yeah. on the grid yeah. now this has been coming for quite some time we all know that um it's been out there for for a long time and and what they're basically looking at doing is generating and i, I wrote this funny I, that that when i read this article i'm so glad you guys called because I had just written that this is one of those things that we need to do is find a way to mitigate that risk. So if we can offset the risk, if we can create a storage ability during the times when we would have these peak power demands, for instance, um, during the month of July and July and August, uh, during the month of January and February, even early March for what it's worth, we need to have the ability to store power that's ready and usable. Now, the offset on this is whether you spend the money now to increase uh, the production that is just used at peak times, or we boost the production, have available storage that we can use this, and then use the ebbs and flows of the market to, you know, let it let it manage that, bring that risk down. And this is a smart plan. Uh, it's there's there's a number of different plans, and I think there may be six or seven different bills that relate to this. But Dan Patrick is, you know, he's the hero on this thing right now. Joining uh, well, us on seven ten KURV is uh, uh, Tim Snyder from Matador Economics. We don't need that, Davey. And uh, we're talking about some proposed changes to the grid. Go ahead. No, this is uh, this is Davis Rankin again. Um, probably nobody pays attention to this stuff, or except you know lefties and people in the people in the business we have plenty of natural gas to generate power in texas while the market can also work on uh you know sunlight and wind and there, there's no reason to pick one over over the other but it it just strikes me that the state of texas is trying to take take the risk out of this for the because it's it's not mom and pop businesses who are who are generating electricity or building the things to generate electricity. These are large companies um, for for yeah. which taking risk is they know they understand that they're not children they're not new to this. Uh, but it's, it seems like we're trying to protect them rather than ho hold their feet to the fire about what we require in, in Texas as a licensed as a regulated utility. Well, and and I understand what you're saying, and that was that was probably a big portion of the Houston Chronicle article that this originally came out of. Um, but the point we're, that we're making here is, it's either spend a whole lot of too much money and spend all of what we need uh, that we have.
in our in our uh, discretionary cash fund that that we generated from oil and gas revenues, uh, or we find a way to mitigate that and spend less money, but prepare what we can to and you know the risk issue that we're mitigating is not the big companies' risk; it's the risk that the average consumer, and that's the reason why this is a good plan. It mitigates the consumer's risk because remember the times that how many times did we hear about you know nineteen hundred and you know eight thousand dollar electric electricity or gasoline or not gas yeah. natural gas bills because because people couldn't afford it and you know the standard program that we have just says okay the market will dictate where you are and you're going to get bit this is an opportunity to make sure that we have that power built up and it won't bite the consumer um it's going to be expensive and the state of texas is going to have to do something but i got to tell you guys do you know what the CREZ system is no <laughs> oh, okay. oh oh CREZ no we, we've talked about this the, before david okay go ahead go ahead david no no, no know, i don't know do you, you go ahead uh, this is where they were going to propose a, a credit system, something that nobody else had done for the grid to where the power generators would have to buy credits from ERCOT or something to that effect. Oh. And they would have to be able to uh, – the credits would represent how much power generation they could create. All right. Now I'm going to compound this just a little more. There's a system called CREZ, Competitive Renewable Energy Zone. That was established when we generate, we built all those power generation windmills and that kind of stuff in West Texas in the area that the wind always blows. Okay. Mm. And it sent all that power down to Central Texas, to Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, um, uh, down in the valley, Corpus Christi, throughout the state. The problem with this is this. They built a, I believe it was a uh, 18,500 megawatt capability and they built it in five years it started in 2008 to finished 2013 today we're at 100% capacity on those lines which means not only do we need more power production we don't have the ability to move the power we can produce more energy in West Texas if the wind blows but if the wind doesn't blow, let's let's say the wind blows and we're at 100% capacity, I can't move any more power down the grid lines, which means I can't get electricity to the places, so this whole idea is moot. So now we need, and it's not wasn't addressed in these in this article, nor is it addressed in the Texas House or Senate. We need to have a program that increases the the transmissibility of electricity or electric generation, whether it's wind or natural gas or solar, whatever we have on our existing power lines or increase the power line. That's going to cost, it could cost hundreds of billions of dollars to be able to do that, but they all need to be addressed. This is not inexpensive. It makes wind and solar that much more expensive cheapest form we have is coal and natural gas and right now natural gas can solve the problem in the short run until we have the ability it's going to take a long time 
to make that work because we still can't even store the power that comes from a, a wind or solar yeah. uh, production because you can't put it in a battery. The battery decays when it gets cold, especially when it gets cold. We're in trouble. Aye, 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 because then that sounds like... I know. <laughs> I'm sort of glad we're at the, the end of no, our time. No, here's, no, 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 because it's like the 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 only the the two the two things that are being vilified right now by the federal government are the only answer to the problem. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Right. Well, yeah, absolutely, and and it doesn't make sense. On top of it, we've got a, a Jennifer Granholm and the Department of um, Energy saying, "Well, we're going to have our entire military tanks, helicopters, airplanes." bazookas whatever it is that uses energy it doesn't matter uh drones um they're gonna all be electrified by 2030 yeah and i don't think we've had this conversation together tim but all of that stuff is way heavier to move around uh if you if you could picture a tank that was run by a battery that's way heavier than a gas powered tank i don't that, have any faith that's in another her. that's another discussion for another day thanks a lot yeah, tim thanks, as usual tim. that's tim snyder from matador economics you can find the or you should sign up for the, the newsletter. You can find it at matadoreconomics.com. It's News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's morning news. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's morning news with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Texas has found a new destination for illegal immigrants who have been processed and released by the Border Patrol. There is a bus of asylum seekers today in the mile high city of Denver. They now join Washington, D.C., New York City, Chicago, and Philadelphia as drop-off points. And the triumphant governor of the mighty Republic of Texas, Greg Abbott, said in a statement that Texas's overrun border communities should not have to shoulder the burden of caring for this flood of illegal immigration. This uh, reasoning and theme has remained constant, by the way, and it is a theme that I agree with, as well as Davis Rankin, though he won't say that in so many words. That, yeah, that we're shouldering the burden of a lot of this illegal immigration. It's not fair yeah. for us to do it. So that's why we're sending people to sanctuary cities. And so this busing strategy began last spring, and more than 19,000 migrants have been transported to self-declared sanctuary cities. Which those, those, those cities should be the ones to overflow first, wouldn't you think? Like, those are the ones that... At least in name only. If they think it's a group. <laughs> At least think on the surface, those are the first places that immigrants should go. It's yeah, I would say it's probably not completely uh, fair, but it's not unfair. And if if they have um, resisted the changes, I would like to see in American immigration policy. Well, then let them put their money where their mouth is. They think it's such a great idea, but boy, they just moan. <laughs> Moan about the expense, so expensive. You know, they're they're using um, city uh, school 
gymnasiums, I think it is, in New York City to, to house uh, people. And uh, there was a story on Fox. There's, they're upset. They, they don't have access to their... It's not fair. It's not right. So where are you supposed to put them up? I mean, the... And there's already kind of a, a, a racial narrative that's being strung along really? for... Uh, you remember recently, it was in Chicago... They were kind of upset, like, hey, we're spending resources on these migrants, you know, south of here. And what, what about the impact to black communities is going to have? That's what they were talking about. There was a Fox News headline on that a few days ago. You, you think that's, um, <clears throat> that's kind of dangerous to pose it that way, don't you think? I did not say it. It was them. I know. I know. But I'm in s- Chicago. I mean... Um, that was that was the that was the joke. World ends Friday. Women and minorities most affected. Um, the, measuring everything against its effect on a non-white population. Let me uh, let me move on here. The Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex is leading the list of major cities that are regaining residents who moved away during the COVID pandemic. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, more than 170,000 people moved to the DFW area between 2021 and 2022. Urban areas across the country grew by nearly half a percent and about two-thirds of the 384 metro areas recorded by the census data observed population increases in that particular time period. That is fascinating. So the Dallas-Fort Worth, Arlington, metro area in Texas saw the biggest jump with over 170 people moving in. I'm sure that's a typo. That's that's probably bigger than what what that was because that sounds kind of small. Many urban areas in the south also saw big increases, including the villages in Florida, the metro area by 7.5%. You don't remember that jingle? The villages. Well, I try not to, but yeah, I do. So. Did you ever consider going there, Davey? Uh, no, not on no, a bet. Okay. <laughs> I, I won't take it any further than that. I heard some things, no. but I don't want to. Without no, without I, having a refresher course on what exactly was I happening. I have nothing I against say. that, but, you know, and this is all personal, but the idea of reaching the age of 55 <laughs> and deciding you want to go be away from children for the rest of your life, theoretically, just, that's a, Why? Why? I'm, I'm 36 and I've got one 18 year old and recently our neighbors uh, they were parading their kids out they were just taking them like a Sunday drive to go shopping or something like that and it was a little boy and a little girl and they were like singing away mm-hmm. playful little songs and I'm thinking you know what I need to find somebody I can have another one with <laughs> I I didn't think that you gotta start going to the bars do guys get baby fever I don't know that's that's just something that I was thinking about but yeah, they Up do and get away, uh, a new study ranking Texas number one in something that is nothing to be proud of. According to the survey from Forbes Advisor, and this is one of my largest pet peeves about living in the Valley, the Lone Star State has the worst drivers in the country. The report says Texas is in the top three in fatal crashes involving a drunk driver, a drowsy driver, or a driver that is going the wrong way, which is honestly a situation that should never, ever happen. Well, nature takes care of that one, I think, you know, pretty often. Two of Texas's neighbors also made the top five on the worst driver list. Louisiana ranked second, Oklahoma number four. So this entire area is just full of really bad drivers. You're not you're not crazy 
unless you're one of those people driving bad. But if you're if you're driving on the road and you're one of the safe ones, and you see somebody like I don't think they should be doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're 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 not wrong. <laughs> you're cop. not wrong. More than likely, they should not be doing that. Don't you think they like, should for call example, the cops? On um, pecan. Mm-hmm. We're driving. I'm, I'm driving into Ricci Plaza. This happened a, a couple of months ago, but there's a little turn around. Uh, I want to say Second Street. Yeah, it's Second Street. Yeah, and it gets kind of swervy. You know that part that I'm talking about. It's west of uh, the the uh, post office. There was a guy that shot up right at the. Inter- we're co- I'm coming up to the intersection. This guy shoots up from the right of me, gets in front of me, right in the middle of the <laughs> intersection. Like like there's a there's a stoplight yeah. behind me. There's a stoplight in front of me. No, it's, it, well, you didn't want to run the light, so you want. <laughs> it light. was green. Don't misunderstand. But it was like a traffic light in front of me, traffic light behind me. Then this car shot up from the right, got in front of me, right in the middle of the intersection, and we just kept going. You're not supposed to do that. That is incredibly illegal. And this guy did it. Where was the cops? Exactly. Where were we need more enforcement on traffic? I, my guess is the people who do that. It just occurs to me, they don't realize how dangerous they are. They may not care. No, they don't. Uh, but they don't realize how how close they can come to causing an, an accident. Right. So I don't know where it was that I had looked it up that you're not supposed to make a lane change within a hundred feet of an intersection. Boy, that's. I don't like that law. Give or take. Give or take, yeah. I think it was about 100 feet of an intersection. You're not I supposed to make a I think the cops have kind of given up personally <laughs> on And I, I, I say this because it seems to me we've moved away from, well, I know. When I got my driver's license, you had to come to a full stop. You come to a full stop. If the cops saw you, he, you got a ticket. And I remember that because I thought it was so wrong. <laughs> well, I think the question is the amount of discretion being put towards that because it's like, were you doing it in a reckless way? The spirit of the law yeah. versus the letter okay. of the law. The letter of the law says you're not supposed to do that. But the spirit of the law is why do we not do that is because you might hurt somebody. And if you had, if you were not somebody that was in danger of injuring another person by doing that, then is it really bad? I, I, what I just assume, and I never have asked a policeman about this, I assume that they just have... <laughs> Thing, things are such now that they have, frankly, more important things to do, if you know what I mean. And These I are the ethical do. questions that I throw out as we discuss the, the fact that Texas is the worst, uh, has the worst drivers in the entire country. I think the DPS still doesn't <laughs> cut any slack. And that's the thing. We were talking about this Tuesday. I was driving back from the Port of Brownsville. It was yeah. raining. Visibility was low. The sun was out at the same time, so the, the sun's rays were reflecting off of the water that had collected on the ground. You couldn't see anything, and yet people were driving way over the speed limit, coming, shooting up from my right side in front of me and crossing over into the passing lane. I don't understand where people get the idea that these are safe or acceptable driving practices. But honestly, and this is controversial, I admit this will be controversial, but I think that every time you go to renew your license, you need to retake that test, that driver's test. That is my just just my personal opinion because the 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 state of driving right now as it is, I don't know if it was because of the Rona and we stopped driving for a while or what, but I think that to get your driver's license renewed, you're going to go in and get your picture taken anyway. You should you should take the driver's test. They should force you to take the driver's test. You're not getting that little card back until you do this. I, I think the worst pictures in the world are the ones that they take at DPS license place. They're just awful. 
I don't know. I think it would cut down on a lot of bad drivers if we had a refresher course every five years. I don't know. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. To running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news. And to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.